Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room Podcast. As I'm sure you all know, June marks Pride Month, a month dedicated to celebrating LGBTQ plus communities all around the world. And although we celebrate and acknowledge the progress in this area, many of the challenges faced by the LGBTQ plus community in Irish workplaces still exist, with organisations still finding it quite difficult to implement the right supports and policies. So to talk about this topic today, we're delighted to be joined by someone with fantastic knowledge in this area, not just through personal experience, but also from his own work in the HR profession. Brilliant Shane O'Brien, Senior Manager for EMEA Employee Experience at MongoDB. Thanks for joining us, Shane. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me. I'm really, really good, Owen. Thank you. Brilliant stuff. And as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Collin, Founder and Managing Director here at Inside HR. How are you, Mary? I'm great, thanks. And looking forward to this podcast, Shane. Brilliant stuff. So to kick us off, Shane, can you talk to us a little bit about, I suppose, your own experience as a HR professional, but also as a member of the LGBTQ plus community? Yeah, I can. And I every Pride Month, I, I reflect on that experience because being in HR is a huge part of my life and also part of my identity, if I'm honest with you. I wouldn't have kept at it if I didn't like doing it. But certainly I do remember a time where I was working in HR and I was not out. And that was not a, a great time when I look back on it. And I had convinced myself that coming out would really hinder my career prospects in any company, not just the company I was in, and that I would not get very far if people knew about my personal life, which when I think about it sometimes is quite sad. Um, And over the years, you know, a huge learning for me, incrementally, by the way, right, you know, small, Um, acts of kindness from people really helped me embrace being very open about my personal life and my identity in work and certainly a huge milestone to that was the marriage referendum quality in in, in 2015 and only from there and certainly in the last number of years have I really really felt my true self as a HR person also identifying as gay and what it has helped in terms of roles that I've done is certainly I think it has gotten me much more influence in terms of policy change. Um, It's given me a platform as a HR person to advocate for um, gay friendly uh, benefits or trans friendly benefits that we might have had in place. Whereas if I wasn't in HR, I mightn't have had such a platform to, to do that. And in the whole subject of employee relations and, you know, kind of creating an employee relations culture and climate of psychological safety, it certainly helped me understand what is a safe space and how can I create safe spaces for other marginalized groups within 
uh, a company. And I think I would have only been able to do some of that because of my experience as a gay person. Yeah, and it's great to be in an industry or section of an industry that you can really make a difference. That's fantastic to hear. I suppose, Shane, like the, the foundation, I suppose, for LGBTQ plus inclusive workplaces, obviously it's about making sure employees of all sexualities, gender expressions feel safe and valid, but it obviously goes beyond that. That's the main foundation, mm-hmm. but it goes beyond. It really makes kind of business sense. It really affects company culture as well, Shane, doesn't it? When people can be their true selves in work. I've only seen positive impact from environments where people feel that they do not have to censor themselves, that they feel that if they wish, they can talk very, very openly about any aspect of their life. That invites a huge amount of security, safety, creativity. And I'm not just talking about marginalized groups either, right? Um, I have started embracing a saying recently about calling people in and not calling people out. Um, I don't know what can be gained necessarily from calling people out because they've made a mistake with a piece of language or a mistake with a pronoun. You know, I'm still learning about minority groups. And um, I think most people are on a journey. And I definitely think most people have the best intent. Um, And I think what companies can gain from doing is inviting the sense of not knowing at all, but absolutely wanting to create that environment where people can input, ask questions and be curious, but be very open to say, we don't have it all figured out. Mm-hmm. And Mary, I think that kind of goes in line with what we've always said about various things, really. It's about kind of listening to your employees, learning from them. I think it's particularly kind of pertinent to, to this kind of topic as well, Mary, isn't it? Absolutely. I was struck by um, Shane, your post on LinkedIn, I thought, um, and it really, you know, resonated the idea that somebody isn't able to come into work and and be proud of who they are. Um, And pride is so important uh, from the, you know, the the point of view of of. Um, people being able to express themselves in the month of June. But again, that extending out beyond the month of June is also important. And it's important from an employment perspective that it's not just one month where it's celebrated from, from a work perspective, but that we look at programming all through the year to educate, to bring about awareness so mm-hmm. that we don't have people feeling like that in the workplace. It's it's a very sad thing if that if our work environments do that to an individual, whatever uh, group they identify as being with. Um, I just think it's very important. Absolutely. And I think I suppose kind of getting deeper into it, Shane, and this is something that asked the, the both of you just from I suppose both your perspectives. Shane, what are some of the challenges faced by the LGBTQ plus community? in the workplace? I think that there's still coming back to kind of my experience. I think that is, is present for, for people. Um, and I don't want to, to generalize, but typically if you're not from a large city like Dublin and you're from rural Ireland or you're from the country, like where I'm from, you didn't see many people like you growing up and you didn't see many people like you in careers that I was aspiring 
to right which was which was in hr um and and i don't know what that must be like for people in other professions like you know people who want to be doctors or teachers or you know lawyers etc cetera, etc cetera. um so i think people see barriers to career progression by virtue of a stigma that's associated with their identity i particularly think that it must be a huge feat for someone who is going through a journey in terms of their gender or gender reassignment um the discussion around trans inclusion uh, or probably trans exclusion is something that i feel as a, as a you know companies any any place that has a platform needs to shine a light on um, because that experience is a very, very difficult one. Not to say that anybody else's experience hasn't been a challenge for sure, but if you worked in a company for five years and everybody knows you by a certain identity or a certain name, but your true self is not uh, identifying with that anymore, that journey and that transition personally is huge. And then professionally to try and manage that, assuming you have the unequivocal support of your manager and your company, then you are very lucky. But that is not always the case. So I think that certainly presents a, a challenge for em employers. And it is one that I think people shy away from because of the unknown and they don't want to offend, um, which, which I understand. I also think that, unfortunately, not just in Ireland, uh, in other parts of Europe, in the US, in parts of Asia, there has been a very disappointing increase in violence against uh, our community, um, physical violence and verbal violence. And that can often spill into the workplace. And what I mean by that is people are coming to work on edge because of what they're seeing in society, not as a result of what's happening in their workplace, but because they are walking to work and they feel unsafe they might start to feel a certain way about how other people perceive me because is this the way the world perceives LGBT people? And employers have to deal with that because it absolutely, it filters into your day-to-day. Your -day. So it can you know, manifest as stress, it can manifest as anxiety, it can manifest as despondency. Um, and, and again, I think the, the mental health impacts on our community is something that is completely underfunded and is not well uh, enabled through education programs. It's, it's not talked about in schools. And I also appreciate that the broad subject mental health is not really talked about as much as we needed to. But I think employers can play a role in that in terms of the conversation around we know violence is happening. We understand that it could have an impact on people's mental health. This is what we offer. This is what we can do about it. And this is the safe space that you have, at least at work. Yeah, and I think it's it's something, Mary, that Jane kind of touched upon it there is how do these kind of issues and challenges manifest? I mean, with those kind of issues being faced by the community so much, it's bound to manifest in, I don't know, things like sick leave, things like conflict in the workplace. It's just, it's something that really... I suppose, can lead to those kind of things really as well, isn't it? That lack of being able to bring your true self to work. Yeah, isn't it? Lack of awareness. 
Um, you know, I think one of the positive things that COVID brought about was that it, it catapulted wellness and, and um, you know, mental health issues to the forefront of a lot of employer of employments. And, you know, people can maybe access uh, some supports or more supports than they might have been able to before now. But that being said, if the employer isn't even aware that these are very genuine issues and very genuine fears that people have in even attending the workplace um, you know then what can they do about it and I think it comes back to that responsibility that an employer has um, in terms of the people that work there and to understand and listen carefully to people's voices and you know networks and setting up networks and funding networks um is just so important because how else are they going to hear the voice of um marginalized groups uh within the organization and and whatever those groups are um it's really about social justice as much as anything else where an organization will really truly hear its people or look at the fact that maybe they're not attracting uh, marginalized groups into their organizations and the why. So it's not just about whether we have people who identify in a certain way within the organization in the first place. We also have to ask that why don't we have mm-hmm. people here uh, who identify in this way? Um, and so it, it, it must be very powerful for a young graduate who is thinking about coming out to know that they could go to an organization where networks exist, where policies are there, but more importantly, where there are role models and role models in management. Um, And that's probably one of the reasons I have been interested in in talking to you today, Shane, because I see you as that role model in HR. Um, And that is very powerful for other young HR people uh, who may be hiding their sexuality or their identity from the workplace and maybe out in every other element of their lives, mm. but not out at work. Um, and HR can make a difference here to people's mm. lives and create those safe spaces and look at building supports but supports that are there already for lots of other groups within the organization um and i see it as as an issue of social justice mm. a broader issue of social justice absolutely i think i think that mary mentioned there shane and we see it which is fantastic and even some of the companies i've worked in has been that whole, um, I suppose, idea of allies, networks, and that kind of thing. From your experience, how important are networks, allies, and, and I suppose those kind of role models, how important are they in driving support for, I suppose, the LGBTQ plus agenda in, in workplaces? Networks are such an essential way of doing something that does not have to cost the earth, that can have a maximum impact um, and can also really kind of cultivate huge relationship building 
um, connecting with people that maybe you wouldn't normally speak to or know anything uh, about. Um, and I think it can be quite intimidating sometimes for companies to approach the subject of establishing employee resource groups or networks, because, you know, going out with that message can sometimes feel like, are we trying to out people? Are we trying to do something that people will see as maybe not the intent that we're we're going with? And I've seen that happen before, right? Often where there is already a culture of maybe mistrust, right? Um, but I've I've certainly been part of networks where we had no budget. I've been part of networks where we had like eye-watering budgets, right? We nearly didn't know what to do with the money. And I've been part of networks where there wasn't, a, let's say, a, a critical mass. So what we did was marry up a number of networks together, which probably was my most enjoyable experience, right? Because I learned the most from that. And I didn't feel like we were operating in a kind of a silo of just our needs. We were hearing needs from, from other groups, which often were similar, if I'm honest with you, right? So there was a great sense of friendship that came out of that kind of intersectional employee resource group needs. And I mean, allyship gets bandied about quite a bit, right? And I, I think it can sometimes be used as a catch-all term, but I have been very fortunate to see true allyship in action um, in roles that I've been in, uh, not just from within the HR community, from the most unseeming people, right? Um, people that, you know, are typically maybe very, very quiet, that do want to actively call people into the conversation. So they step up or someone who is extremely senior in the company who you would think this is not even on their radar. They don't even know who I am. Do they even know we have a employee resource group who then goes and says, I'd love to be your executive sponsor. Is that is that possible? Like, could I could I get involved? And you're sitting there going, normally you have to pull teeth to get access to somebody like this who has all this influence. So I think both of those ideas, you know, philosophies are, are, are so, so important as long as they become a living and breathing entity throughout the company and they are not isolated to June. They're not isolated to International Women's Day. They're not isolated to Juneteenth. There's a constant conversation happening about how do we put in all these groups? How do we realize as a company or as a HR team, we don't have to have it all figured out. Let's leverage our allies. They can tell us. Let's leverage our employee resource groups. They can tell us. And in my previous company, one of our employee resource groups ended up being an accidental talent pool for us because we were seeing these fantastic leadership attributes in three people within an employee resource group. They were individual contributors and we were searching for a director and two senior managers and we were really, really struggling through our normal talent channels. And by virtue of being part of this employee resource group, myself and another colleague had said, look, I think you should reach out to these three people because what I've seen, if they're living that day to day, they would have a, mass, a, a maximum impact on, on the business. And we were right. So that is something that would, I would only realize with my HR lens on, you know, from being part of, of, of those groups, which had an additional 
benefit as part of my role in terms of trying to promote talent. And I think it's clear from the discussion that it goes so, so far beyond policies. But I think when we talk about HR, Mary in particular, I think policies and that kind of thing do obviously give a great foundation to obviously making the right steps and that kind of thing. But I think despite all the discussion, the progress around, I suppose, getting LGBTQ plus inclusion right, it still seems to be a challenge for some employers to kind of say, look, where do we start with these policies? That kind of thing It's definitely something we feel in the market or we hear that it is a bit of a challenge and people aren't sure where to, to get started. Would that be right, Mary? Absolutely. I mean, when it comes to uh, networks and allies and, and you know, the the, I suppose, policies that organizations have out there to support they tend to be the preserve of the larger organizations who do have the eye-watering budgets and um, and the smaller organizations struggle a bit more so they don't have the individual networks and sometimes they don't even have networks at all um, and you know that's not because the HR people in those organizations aren't committed to um equity and fairness and and you know creating a safe environment for people to work in sometimes they don't know where to start or what to do or how to go about it um and you know they're busy doing the day-to-day hr role um and haven't put the time and effort and energy into or maybe don't have the time to put into what could we do um but that's real pity you know lots of times people talk about the legislation and the equality legislation that's there to protect people and and it is it is there to protect people and and certainly some of the cases that come to uh, the forefront around equality issues you know teach employers something and and maybe get employers to do things a little bit differently but there's a lot of work to be done so that people feel included um, and that people feel part of an organization. And, you know, I had to laugh. I saw um, on a podcast, somebody not saw, I heard on a podcast, someone talking about, you know, your work isn't your family. And I laughed to myself because an awful lot of uh, organizations try to create that, you know, family friendly feel to an organization. And, you know, work isn't your family, Mm. Um, but it's a place that you come to and spend a significant amount of time every day, more than the time that you spend probably with other people or in your home or with your family or your friends. Um, and it's so important given that, that we are creating environments that are supportive to all of the people that are there and that we're ensuring that we're judging people on merit and merit alone and their ability and their skills and what they bring to the table, not on how they identify or or not on um, what characteristics that they might have that are different to ours or different to the majority. So I think there is lots of work for us to do in this area. Um, But the how to bit 
is often missing. You know, how do you go about getting sponsorship from the executive? Um, how do you influence uh, in an organization? How do you set up these networks? How do you even go about it? And I think a lot of that is missing for HR people. Um, they don't know what to do. It, it's not necessarily because they don't want to, and they don't necessarily know how to pull in key people who can make this happen too. Because those networks are so powerful because there are people who are volunteering to educate and, and bring about awareness within the organization. So it doesn't all center around management. Um, and I agree with you, Shane, that you know the bringing people together uh, is so important, but not glossing over and allowing one um, set of issues or one set of challenges or one group be more powerful than another within an organization. So it's a bit of a balancing act, I think. I think, Trent, we do obviously see a lot of great things happening. I mean, we spoke recently to Torin Dahl, who's head of inclusion at Deloitte, a few weeks back on our podcast. Um, and obviously they have loads of different policies doing great work there, global pride committees, this kind of stuff. And even in a company I worked in, well, maybe seven years ago now, there was pride ERGs, there was great mm. support there, but it does seem like it still seems to be the progress hasn't been maybe as quick as, as we had hoped or something. Um, do you have any thoughts on what, I suppose, what the holdup is, if you know what I mean? What are the challenges facing employers and why is it not more widespread or maybe it is I'm wrong but mm. any thoughts on it I think the challenge is for indigenous companies more so than it is for large corporates because with a large corporate you've got the backing of your headquarters typically in you know California or New York you're probably getting some source of funding your executive sponsor might sit in the states and might be hugely influential right so you've got a lot of wraparound to support you as the HR person or whoever is driving the agenda in the Irish entity. I think for companies that are wholly owned as Irish, I probably would say, I mean, I admire people for their efforts, I have to say, but I think the progress has probably been slower because you don't have that backing. You probably do have to work that bit harder. Socially, then, some of the external factors might be hindering your progress, right? So we can't ignore the fact that, you know, for all intents and purposes, while we have made progress here in Ireland, there is still a cohort and percentage of people that mildly do not agree and then absolutely do not agree with um, what they believe is an ideology or a lifestyle um, that is associated with being LGBTQ+. And that, unfortunately, can from time to time influence the way companies either promote or don't promote these, what are very basic rights. And particularly what would hold you back is when you're starting to see violence against LGBTQ people, it nearly galvanizes some of that ideology that, oh, there is something wrong with these people. So I don't want to be the one to go out and make a bold move of supporting them. And that's sad. And I, you know, I, I hope that certainly it will change as more and more wholly owned Irish companies and indigenous companies say, 
hey, no, if you want to come work for us, you're, you're subscribing to the way we think, which is unequivocally inclusive. And if that is not your point of view, we don't feel comfortable that you can work alongside of our colleagues, however they identify. Um, and that's a really difficult conversation. And I, I know of some Irish companies that did not have a headquarter, you know, model or any sort of branch or entity outside of Ireland, that their employee relations cases and interpersonal conflict cases rose dramatically in 2015 as a result of the marriage referendum, because you had something very, very simple as someone coming in with the badge to say, I have voted, not that I voted yes or no, I have voted. And that sparked a really uncomfortable conversation between employees that in some respect ended up as grievances. Because, you know, because I don't agree with your, and I'm saying inverted commas, lifestyle, you're calling me homophobe. And that can be very, very uncomfortable. And that can end up in, you know, I've seen that end up in things like constructive dismissal, where somebody has felt that they can no longer stay in that company, that they were forced to resign because the working environment they felt was was against them. And we don't think about these things, I don't think, you know. And there's other social issues that prompt that very heavy discussion. And that's not going to stop. And I think what I definitely try not to shy away from is, okay, how do we have the conversation in a completely safe and respectful way without anyone feeling excluded or without anyone feeling victimized, et cetera, et cetera. Um, because as I said, I think Ireland is considered quite liberal and I hope that that you know, certainly um, sustains. Um, and by virtue of it being a liberal leaning country, we should be able to have these conversations without somebody feeling like they have to resign from their role or feeling very, very, very threatened as long as the person is coming at it from a perspective of, look, maybe I was ignorant. Maybe I didn't know. I want to be educated. I just come from a very different experience to you. So, okay, let me help me understand. I'm okay with that. I'm perfectly comfortable with that. What I'm not comfortable is you don't know why you don't like me and you're not open to figuring it out or on the very extreme side of things, which I, I think is in the minority, you, you have a hate against me. And I can't accept that. I don't expect anyone else to. So look, I think the golden question really um, that I'll ask both of you and I'll come to yourself first, Mary. So we know absolutely there's no question about the benefits and look this is just something that's the right thing to do so I think the question really is Mary how can employers uh, create a more supportive workplace then um, for the for members of the LGBTQ plus community in the workplace what can they do where can they start policies and procedures for a start but again um, running those by networks if you have them so that they can check them from a, a language perspective I was struck by 
uh, Turndal from um, Deloitte talking about, you know, inclusive language and making sure that she oh, and the team were putting the policies and procedures to the relevant groups and, or putting their gender pay gap reporting uh, to partic- the gender, uh, I can't remember the name of the group she said, but, you know, again, bringing them to the relevant groups and, and asking for their feedback and their input. So the policies and procedures are, are really important. They're the backbone of uh, the organization and they're the things that you fall back on and rely on uh, when you have a problem, whether it's a grievance or a dignity at work issue, uh, a complaint or a disciplinary issue. You need those policies and you need them to be robust. Um, and particularly around uh, dignity at work and equality um, and all of those things that needs to be solid and there the i suppose the sponsorship um of the networks the establishment and sponsorship of the networks is very important the education of the board and the senior executive team i see is very important as well because you know most things need support at that level um and the that executive sponsorship is just key to something thriving and growing within an organization or or failing um and education and awareness uh is just so important for an organization as our allies and role models um you know do we want people to be visible and prominent in an organization uh whether they're lesbian gay by trans, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful to look upwards and see people um, like you, who you can aspire to achieve in the same way and you can see in the the organisation that people, irrespective of who they identify as or what group uh, they see themselves with or, you know, if you can look upwards, and see something different to the traditional all male white mm. boards and all male uh, with token number of female management teams. And, you know, that needs to change. And the diversity and the inclusion at many levels in many areas of organizations needs to change. And I see it at that senior level that a lot of work needs to be done. Um, to bring about change, real change, lasting and sustainable change. Absolutely, and I suppose the same question to yourself, Shane, how can companies, employers, HR teams kick on to the next level, I suppose, and how can, I suppose, what are some of the key things that you'd say, um, some key advice, some key guidance from your perspective? I think something very easy you can do is look at your communication cadence with your employees so if that is a newsletter, if it is a microsite, if you do town halls, look at how you can have a feature in every one of those cadences of calling out a piece of inclusion for your minority groups outside of the typical things we all know about, like June, like International Women's Day. So, for example, you know, if you had identified on the news that there was a peaceful protest around 
LGBTQ violence, call that out in your newsletter to say we were very pleased to see that people gathered to peacefully protest around such an important subject. Many of you might have been there. We hope you got something from it. Equally, when you know Northern Ireland had passed um, after much much needed and years of, of, of a lot of hard work and um, passed their you know equality for LGBTQ people even though it's you know not considered the republic we're still on the same island as them they still go through the same struggles that we go through call that out and there are many many more examples don't wait for your you know obligation to report on gender pay to briefly call out what you intend to do before the the report is published or what you're thinking of in terms of your action planning. Or if you see that, you know, there's been repeated violence against people of colour in a particular part of Ireland, call that out to say, we hope that anyone who is uh, part of that community within our organisation feels safe. And if you don't feel safe, this is what you can do. And, and no, that doesn't cost anything. It just, all it invites is just you being alert to what's happening in the world outside of work. Because as I was saying earlier on, undoubtedly that will filter in to work. And that can create such a safe space for all manner of employees to say, my employer is really on it. They know what's going on outside of, of the workplace. And by virtue of them keeping their finger on the pulse of these social challenges, I have no doubt that if I had an issue within the workplace, it would be treated very, very seriously. Um, and I think that's something very, very easy to do. Longer term, what I would love to see, but I know this is hugely aspirational, I would love to see companies doing pay gap reporting for minorities. Um, outside of, of, of gender. I think the gender piece is absolutely critical. And, you know, so many companies will, will say, gosh, on the back of my gender pay gap, I'm really struggling to see what we can actually do. We don't have this big pot of money to remedy the gap that we have. Certainly, we have got great inclusion practices, but will that be enough? And that is a very valid question, but we shouldn't stop at gender. There are people who identify as being differently abled or neurodiverse in the workplace that are paid less than their colleagues who are doing the same job. There are people within my community who might be paid less. I'm really interested in that and how bold employers would be about that conversation because that's breaking a bit of glass and there's nothing wrong with, with breaking a bit of glass on, on these types of subjects. Absolutely, Shane. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and the unfortunate thing is it, it, it takes legislation mm. to um, level the playing field in so many ways, you know, in, in terms of gender pay gap reporting, for how many years was that promised? For how mm. many years was that in the UK before it ever came here? And we're pretty quick in Ireland to follow in yeah. the UK's footsteps, but we delayed a significant amount of time on gender pay gap reporting. Um, and, it, you know, absolutely, if the requirement was there, 
it would drive forward um, that inclusion piece so much more in an organization because it will be on the radar. People will be tasked with tackling um, issues around minority groups within their organizations. Um, but, you know, I do take heart in, in many ways that, you know, as younger people enter the workforce, they're looking for different things. Mm. Um, and, you know, for younger people now, when they join organizations, you know, as they're coming in, new graduates, they're looking towards, um, you know, at an organization to see how how um, many people are, how many women are in senior management positions, how many women are on the board. Mm -hmm. they're, they're looking for organizations with purpose that give back to the community. Um, and th that is changing and that will drive behavior, particularly when we have skill shortages. You know, we're all out there competing on much the same things at the moment. Mm flexibility you know you work from anywhere well with the with the kind of bot you know <laughs> only for 30 days because you can't handle the taxation implication yeah. but you know everybody's competing on the same set of stuff and that creativity piece is often missing um and maybe it's it's a skill set that you know hr people don't have necessarily mm. when it comes to will we just follow what somebody else is doing or can we be truly original and start doing things differently ourselves and and pushing forward different points because you know does the organization care what attracts people to the organization absolutely um, they want talent and they want top talent. And, you know, would you choose to go to an organization um, that has role models that look like me, uh, that I feel I could get there someday myself? Absolutely. Um, and so it, it, organizations miss a trick, really, by... Mm -hmm. by you know, not really promoting this stuff really heavily and and being ahead of the curve, being the first to report on minority groups. It'll be interesting to see. Definitely. And there's so much that can be done. And I think with, when it comes to any sort of inclusion, particularly LGBTQ plus inclusion, but any inclusion at all, doing these things, and I'd say in inverted commas, little things, like Shane was saying, they really go a long way. I think the effects of them definitely can't be understated. So look, thank you, Mary and Shane, for a very insightful, practical, and very transparent and passionate discussion. Really enjoyed that. So thank you to both of you for, for joining us today. Thank you to everyone for listening, obviously, and we'll catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast. Don't forget to click subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels. Make sure to obviously check the show notes for useful resources related to today's topic. And as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, get in touch with us today at insighthr.e. Thank you, Shane, and thank you, Mary. Thank you, Owen. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. 
We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.